<laughs> Welcome back to the Before You Die podcast, where every week we watch one of the 1001 greatest movies of all time, so you don't have to. And we'll give you our opinion on whether or not we think you should watch it. This week, it's Ghostbusters, the 1984. Yes, yes. 1984, classic, with Harold Ramis, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and that other guy. Ernie Hudson. Ernie is Hudson. It, is Ernie Hudson. I, I just call him Winston. Yeah. I, had, I don't think I've ever seen a film with him in it outside of Ghostbusters. Yeah. Uh, so this week, it's me, Gavin, and we're also joined by James. Hello. And to give you a little uh, backstory, in case you don't know what Ghostbusters is, it's about a group of four spirit exterminators who fearlessly take on otherworldly evil infiltrators. Manhattan. Uh, whether it manifests itself as wicked green slime or an ancient tyrant back from the dead to take over the world, this spectacularly successful franchise captured the imagination of audiences around the world and redefined the action comedy genre in the process. I kind of feel like I want to buy the DVD after reading, after hearing that. Yeah, that, that's like, if that doesn't work sell for me to, anyway. Don't know what does. So here's a little clip just so you can uh, get what it is. The Ghostbusters are here, Mr. Mayor. Ghostbusters. Okay, the Ghostbusters. Hey, where's this pack? I am Walter Peck, sir, and I'm prepared to make a full report. These men are consummate snowball artists. They use sense and nerve gases to induce hallucinations. People think they're seeing ghosts. And they call these bozos who conveniently show up to deal with the problem with a fake electronic light show. Everything was fine with our system until the power grid was shut off by Dickless here. They caused an explosion. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Okay, so let's start. Uh, we should talk about, I don't know, the actors first, because there's lots of trivia around that. Will we let our, our Winston, the late addition to the crew, start this off? <laughs> Just, uh, are you saying I'm Winston Zedmore? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Zedmore as well, that's not exactly a traditional family name. It's a cool name, name though. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like I, I found with Ghostbusters it was interesting because you had an excellent kind of primary cast, um, which all played off each other. Actually, if you look at kind of the writing history of it it was actually written by Howard Remis and, and uh, Dan Aykroyd um, and you can kind of see how they play off each other in real life versus how their characters yeah. are actually so like if you look at Dan Aykroyd's character he's kind of like the nerd who just wants to prove ghosts exist but he's also very childlike like he's yeah. the one that <coughs> just instantly agreed to remortgaging the house um, signs off on a derelict building just because there's a fireman's pole yep. <laughs> stuff like that um, and Howard Ramis is actually I actually watched an interview with Howard Ramis around the time just after they'd filmed where he said that he is actually much like Egon in real life he's very quiet he's not the the extrovert and he kind of wishes that he was so he gets that through the writing so that's where he kind of expresses how he feels and then you have Bill Murray who's a little bit of a dick but also <laughs> yeah. great, this great personality who's off the wall and uncontrollable force of nature. So I thought the cast was excellent. And then it's a shame that Winston came in much later. I feel like yeah. he could have added a lot to it at the very beginning. Um, it does come off as a little bit random in the movie. It just so many, on, yeah. yeah. I think they introduced him quite well though, right? Like, yeah. It, yeah. It, well, it, did, it was a little bit rushed, but I suppose that was the whole the whole joke was they just needed someone quickly and they got him in so you know it kind of does work on a, even on a meta level but yeah. at the same time like I do think he deserved a little bit more of um, of characterization but then again I don't think they particularly gives him massive character moments or character arcs even like no one particularly changes from the beginning that mm. goes to the end of the film and that's fine because you know what Bill Murray is within for the first five minutes yeah. of the film you know who Dan Aykroyd is you know who you know who Harold yeah, Ramis yeah. is so it's fine but it's fine for me but I, I think I think you're right I think if he was in earlier on the film it wouldn't have hurt him as a character because I think people kind of have him as an afterthought because of how he was introduced almost 
Yeah. He so, even said himself yeah. in interviews that he felt like it's kind of a love-hate thing <laughs> with, with yeah. Ghostbusters. Well, put it this way, if Eddie Murphy had been cast as him, do you think he would have been put into the film an hour in? Or I think he probably, <laughs> considering it, because it was meant to be, there was someone else that was, it was meant to be John Belushi, John Belushi as well yeah. as Venkman, and then Eddie Murphy as Zedmore, and then, actually, I guess it would have only been three, wouldn't it? John Candy as Lewis then as well, but yeah, there was only yeah, John Candy as yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, there was originally supposed to be three because Harold Ramis wasn't going to be in it. Yeah, um, and he 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 kind of this he made the decision to put himself in it. Yeah, because he thought he was the only one who could play Egon. the introvert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's funny, isn't it, yeah. to put himself front and center like that? What yeah. what about you, Craig? What for the actors like cast? Yeah, cast. Yeah, I would have after hearing about or reading about Eddie Murphy, like, just to see how he yeah, I'd love to see yeah. that alternate like, because Eddie Murphy at the time was like fire like that's what he was he yeah, brought he was like huge. this energy whereas like and i love winston but the one thing you can say he brought was an abundance of energy yeah, whereas i think yeah. eddie murphy in that cast because the deadpan of of bill murray's great the the deadpan of uh egon's great yeah and then you have the like the boyish kind of charm of dan Agri, but i think that adult fire that you get from eddie murphy really could have that would have made it like an 18th movie i mean can you imagine like scenes with john belushi and eddie murphy yeah, yeah. that, that would have been a tough film to, to actually film to actually yeah, yeah. i think you're right actually because i and the way yeah maybe it would have been too much almost because i suppose the craziness is, isn't what's happening with the cast the craziness is what's happening around them and yeah, how they yeah. react to it so yeah. maybe that's why yeah because they're all very human characters like mm-hmm. they're all, like you could easily see four guys in a that sort of timeline if they're if you were able to trap ghosts like if four dudes just stumbling into this like little mm-hmm. niche job that uh that nobody else has done and like all of a sudden they're super busy and they don't know how to handle it yeah and they're like yeah. oh shit what do we do <laughs> yeah um, i always i always thought for its time actually and what it was trying to be as a film i always thought it was a really interesting character representation for all of them because they were massively flawed in different yeah. elements in their life like um, I always got the impression just I mean re-watching it recently I picked up on how depressed Venkman actually seems to be yeah. cynical about life mm. there's a scene at the beginning where he's interviewing the librarian that gets scared shitless by the library ghost um, and he's just kind of sitting there he's got this vacant expression completely dismissive of the whole thing just sort of staring off whereas Egon is like I need to analyse this I need to be scientific which is Egon yeah um but as a result, Egon is socially kind of um, inhibited. And then you see um, Ray, who's kind of like excited completely about the whole situation. He's like a kid in a candy yeah. store. And it's always quite funny to see that. And then, of course, Winston doesn't get, really give a crap. He just wants he's a job. He's there for the money. <laughs> he's there for the money. <laughs> there for the money. Yeah. Whatever. Like. Although he's really underpaid. Even for 1984, it was 11.5 a year. He's, considering they're getting, what, $5,000 for jobs like they did in the, in the hotel. Oh yeah, eleven yeah. five is pretty low, and also the fact I think you're right though. Like, just there's certain moments where you think, like Dan Aykroyd, they said as um Bill Murray says, everyone has three mortgages on their house these days. That that means that <laughs> he took out two mortgages before that. Now we don't know what this is for, but I, yeah. I can only assume it's to research ghosts, which means you, again it shows you he's just thinking, I want to find out if ghosts are real. So just even those moments just really tell you so much about a character, which I think is yeah. one of the best things it does. Yeah. I think it's funny, and if you you can actually visually track how bad they are with money there's a scene <laughs> just before they get their first call is the you know, hotel call and they're sitting like venkman says i need to do something with the petty cat cash and they're like oh well, we're eating the petty cash this is the chinese yeah. <laughs> but in the background they've got like four primo arcade machines yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's like yeah that's a, it's a few grand's worth of yeah. petty cash yeah. you feel like, like dan Eckward's character 
Ray wanted to spend it on the arcade machines. Egon wants to spend it on research, and then Equipment. Peter wants to spend it on going on dates with Sigourney Weaver's characters. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a good uh, juxtaposition between the three of them. Like, um, which probably mean probably is the reason why Winston's getting paid so little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I I read as well that like Winston's character was um. He had a much bigger part up until like the day before the movie, mm. and they gave him like the new script. And I think that's probably why he has that sort of uh, love hate relationship with it. He said like he loved the cast, he loved the guys, like he enjoyed doing it, but like something was kind of taken away from him. Like he could have had a bigger role. But they kind of made up for it in the second one, though, right? Yeah, they did yeah. give him a bit more. Yeah, he had a lot more in the second role. one. Yeah, he had some actual scenes. Yeah. But you, like it, it, the fact is though if it was Eddie Murphy I'm assuming that, that role never would have been changed. It yeah it would have been, been huge. Big and it would yeah. have had a lot more room for character development and even improv but mm. at the same time like you said it almost works better because he does look like just a guy who would just be looking for a job. So it almost makes sense. That's what yeah. and that's one of the things they do really well is just the schlubby nature of a day to day nine to five job. Like they're they're obviously busting goes for a job but they it's just a job yeah. they come out and they have their traps and it's like a rat trap or and they, yeah. they're still giving invoices there's nothing particularly particularly fancy about what they're doing no, no, that's no. what's amazing yeah. about it they're like, they're, yeah they're like exterminators yeah. with like... smoke pretty much hanging out their mouth every time <laughs> yeah. you see them like it's pretty amazing i'm still in awe of the scene in the hotel where dan Aykroyd's cigarette just hangs yeah, yeah. <laughs> like how did they do that yeah. i think there's actually some trivia around yeah. that as well yeah he said it was um, just his own saliva it wasn't <laughs> anything. like it, would, it just happens to, to work there's a mouthful of glue the one thing i will say now this could be this is where my i think controversial opinion come in i do think there's kind of um an expectation from i don't i know when i was watching it anyway you're constantly waiting for bill murray to talk so no matter how good the rest of the cast are, you're saying, oh, what's Bill Murray going to say at this this point? Because he's such a reactive comedian. Mm. So everything is his reaction, his reaction. And you don't, one of the times you really see is when he goes on the date with Dana and she's obviously saying, I am Zool. And he this is just reacting to her constantly. So it's a proper showcase for his type of comedy. Mm. But I find almost, not that he, he, oh, he takes over the film, whatever, but I do find that as a viewer, you're thinking, what's he going to say next? So yeah. I do think there's kind of a, a blank space. It's almost like they're lobbing the balls up for him to hit him out of the park every time. Yeah. And I don't think it gives someone like, I think Harold Ramis has some great lines in it, but he doesn't get a lot. Yeah. Or Dan Aykroyd, who is a hilarious comedic actor who doesn't really get a lot. Because the only person I think who really shines on a, on a similar level to Bill Murray, comedically anyway for me, is Rick Moranis, who I think yeah. is, he is exceptional <laughs> in this film. Phenomenal I think he film. pretty much ad-libbed. Because originally meant to be John Candy and from what I can what I've researched at least around it is that he had some very controversial ideas about what he wanted Lewis Tully to be in terms of character and Mm. stuff and it didn't sync with what Remus wanted with the script so they kind of put him to the side but he wanted to be like a I think he wanted to be a German guy with two massive hounds kind of schnitzels or whatever they're called schnauzers schnauzers yeah but it's it's quite funny because I think um, Lewis Tully as Rick Moranis' Lewis Tully came onto it much closer to the, the bar in terms of when they started filming so yeah. he didn't have much script written for his character yeah. so I think that whole scene in, in the, the, uh, party. the party it's is amazing. fully ad-libbed and yeah. it's one take as well yeah. Yeah. it goes across the dinner table and the yeah. dance included everything yeah, yeah. and then I love when he's saying um, oh yeah, I didn't even invite friends I didn't invite clients because this <laughs> yeah. is tax deductible and then he's talking about it's like Oh, you've only someone's looking for tablets. It's like, oh, I get the generics, six hundred for the cost of three hundred. That's just good. That's just good business. That's yeah. good advice. And just walks away, yeah. and he's putting the salmon down. I was like, this is twenty four ninety five from Nova Scotia. <laughs> yeah. I got it for twelve thirty nine or something like that. It's, 
He's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so, the, sorry, man. Sorry, it was like when he, he opens the door then as well for the two people. He's like, hello, whatever your name is. Oh, yeah. He's like, you know, she's still he's, drawing a... Uh, uh, and his business is in receivership. Yeah, yeah his business is in receivership. She's still drawing a wage from an, a, a bonus from two years yeah. ago, whatever. <laughs> he also seems to be like... Yeah, sorry, I interrupted. He, he also seems to be um, the only inherently purely nice character. Yeah. There's nothing like irredeemable and there's, there's nothing bad about him aside from his he has a trouble talking to, to girls especially Sigourney Weaver yeah. who he's in love with pretty much clearly um, but he's continued like the only flaw in him is that he's continuously looking himself out of his own apartment yeah. which I think happens about four times yeah. and he's the um, gatekeeper yeah and he's the gatekeeper yeah. and there's that amazing oh, the scene the key master sorry the key, the yeah the key master amazing scene where he's been picked up by the cops around Central Park because he's just <laughs> running yeah. around and he's got that clearly it's like a pasta strainer on his head with yeah. like sh- stuff coming out of it and he does this this massive monologue about like historically what Gozer is and all that and it's just brilliantly I can't I'm not gonna paraphrase yeah. it but like it was so well done it just had me in hysterics because he keeps going and it, 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 he writes this lore in his head as he's saying it which yeah. is brilliant but even him talking to a horse and then Got fought, gone flying <laughs> yeah. over garbage is is hilarious. Like yeah, I think yeah. everything he does is film. And then it just makes you think. I miss Rick Moranis yeah. you know, in films because I know like he has the, his reasons for yeah. retiring, but absolutely amazing actor. I think he is exceptional in this film. I li- and I really liked. Um, I think Sigourney Weaver. I was saying to James earlier on that I kind of know her as Ripley, a harsh kind of tough character, where she brought a lightness to this film yeah. that you just I just think worked really well. Again, like to juxtapose it with Bill Murray, who's like it's a snarky film and that's fine but I do think you need to have characters that are just inherently good and ironically it's the two characters that are most inherently good that are the conduits for the evil to come into the film yeah. which is what I think works really well yeah. so I like I said I think you're absolutely right with Rick Moranis just being a good character and then Dana being a good character whereas the rest are snarky around yeah. it so it works really well Um. okay so what about the <clears throat> like the, the setting like it, the whole thing is in New York again well not again the last one was in America Washington America. that we had <laughs> Independence Day <laughs> but this is all New York Manhattan I think the majority of it's filmed there as well I think this, only the interior of the uh, the fire station is done in mm. LA but everything else was in well they got a really New York Manhattan. sensibility to it you know yeah. like, just like it's that's when you're a kid and then when you go if you've, anyone's ever been to New York since like if you see this kid films like Ghostbusters are what fill in those blanks for you but like, yeah. oh, it's like I've been here before because of films like Ghostbusters they really just put you in it because they don't make it anything special mm. they just make it this is the city we work and live in and that's it they get paid yeah to there's nothing to highlight the fact that it's New York it's just yeah now they did it in the second one I yeah. think that's one of, the, one of the big complaints is that pretty much said like New York's the greatest city in the world with the Statue of Liberty and stuff but in mm. this one it's literally New York's just a city we live in but um, I really you know I think um, they use the setting well though because New York as well in terms of an American city that would have the most history so the idea of ghosts and the society from the 1920s I think it was that's, that's um, yeah. worship goes or it just yeah. makes more sense to me so I think it's Ray that's like again super excited kind of kid mode yeah. um, he says like no one made buildings like this this was like ahead of its, yeah, yeah. specifically done and the, I think it was a type of metal or some kind of yeah, it was the, used the metal, in the top. I think you said, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a channel kind of, as you were saying, con- as you guys were saying, conduit kind of. Um, but there, there are some, there are some references to New York. It isn't Overt, celebratory. Yeah. 
but yeah. I think the only time it's really celebratory is at the very end. When I think I'll, it's the last line yeah. actually that Winston says, like, I love this town. Yeah. He's covered in like yeah. bits of Stay Puff marshmallow. Yeah, yeah. Um, just sh- shouting, I love this town. And then the music kind of kicks in and rises up. It's all but, feel good. Yeah. yeah, it's good yeah. Though. But I, I, I think as well, what was smart by, by the director, Ivan Reitman, was you see the first scene as well it's like a horror film the music he does long corridor shots with what's going on in the background It it's like a horror film and the only reason you even know it's a it's not a horror film anymore because think about it, the last scene you see before the Ghostbusters sting kicks in is a woman screaming with light in her face this yeah. could have been the start of any horror film yeah, but because yeah. the first song you hear is Ghostbusters by yeah, Ray yeah. Parker <laughs> it completely changes yeah. the, the tone of the film and then even at the end I think where it does kind of have to have it's a blockbuster moment it still retains the comedy every part of that is comedic like the yeah. fact is they could have had a big horrible ghost but they said no we're going to do staple of marshmallow on and then they still have Ray joking yeah. they still have Peter yeah. joking throughout and that's what works about it because yeah. it's always a comedy but it, it knows where it's bread is butter as well It's got, I think Edgar Wright is an director who does it really well now where something like Shaun of the Dead it's a comedy but what it gets right is the zombie film elements yeah. and the same with Hot Fuzz he gets the action elements right but he keeps it as a comedy and yeah. that's what I think yeah. they do here they juggle the horror elements and they juggle the action elements but they keep the comedy constantly rolling yeah. with it so it works really well for me I think the perfect the perfect kind of representation of that is at the very end when they're kind of standing off against Goza she's like she or he or it I think it was designed to be kind of like Androgynous, a mix between yeah. like Grace Jones and uh, David Bowie, David Bowie yeah. and I think they even were trying to get David, um, Grace Jones to play that character yeah. at one point um, but anyway there's a, a part where they're kind of verbally standing off before they start getting kind of physical with it but uh, ends up with um, ask. I think she says, "Are you a god?" and <laughs> and Ray goes, "No," and then this massive, like, really serious attack, and they're almost blown off the side of the building, and it's a serious moment because this is the first time you've truly seen them in peril as a, yeah. as a team, and then it gets punctuated by Winston saying, "Ray, someone ever asks you." If you're a god, you say yes. Yeah. <laughs> and As then, he's picking them up. up yeah. the the yeah. And that's exactly that yeah. echoes exactly what you're saying, man. Mm. Um, that kind of it's it's a it's it's serious, but at the same time, that that element there's always a punchy one liner. Yeah, like, something. But it needs that, I think, because you you see like blockbusters now, and they take themselves so seriously, and yeah. it's so hard for you to get on board with that because the characters aren't fun, so you're not gonna be you're not gonna care if they die. Whereas we're here, there's genuine peril because you genuinely care about the character. Yeah. So it works on so many levels. It was one that with the talking about the like the comedy and stuff and, and going back to like the character development earlier, like there's one thing that stood out to me was um you know the way uh, Egon and what's her name? Uh, Janine. Like you can tell like she's re- she into, just, she's yeah. really into him but like he's just completely oblivious to it. <laughs> but she asks him, like, you know, what are your hobbies? Or what do you like to do? She tells him everything that she does. <laughs> like I'm a real like book smart person, you know. I think consider myself really intellectual. He's like, I connect. I, I was. I collect spores, molds, and fungus. Yeah. <laughs> and he just walks up. <laughs> Doesn't have a romantic interest transfer at some point between one and two to, to Lewis, Lewis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which is weird because I don't know I kind of I'm surprised I didn't give anyone else a love in well I suppose Dan Aykroyd is kind of sexually assaulted by a ghost at some point in this film yeah, so yeah. that's his yeah. love that's a, they, they framed it as a dream sequence but no isn't isn't there an actual ghost above them at one stage that, 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 so that's a weirdly filmed that's actually one of the things that I wanted to kind of discuss there as well because there's a very strange way of, that that's filmed you see a scene where Dan Aykroyd's laying in bed with Freedom. the other they're, two. They're all asleep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then it's 
the way it's framed is it's very clearly in that room and there's a ghost above him yeah. and then it kind of cuts a bit through editing and then the same thing's happening but he's wearing some kind of weird admiral's clothing in yeah. a different room like in a dream room yeah uh, and it, is, it cuts it, again and it's back to the real yeah, room yeah and, and he falls doing, out of the bed yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah but it is just before that happens like it goes like like the dream yeah, like, you just have sex in his dream then is that yeah, yeah, yeah. Goes, so, yeah. yeah that's still technically I think that's him having sex with a ghost yeah, yeah. <laughs> because we don't know yeah that's yeah. pretty much expect, that's like par for the course for Dan Aykroyd's character Dan Aykroyd lives that character every day of his life let's be honest it makes sense alright so then the direction, like we talked a bit about it earlier, but uh, like, what do you think of like Ivan Reitman's? This could catch a bit of flack. I think Ivan Reitman's a bit of a hack. I don't think he's done anything particularly good in probably about twenty five years. But he so gets maybe, a... we should, maybe we should say some examples of, of what he's done. Well, he's done Stripes, which I love Stripes and I love Ghostbusters. But I think he's like my super ex girlfriend was one he's done recently. He, did, uh, he oh, pretty much analyzed this. And, yeah, analyzed that as well. Uh, there, there. Well, I'd be like, then he did in two thousand. I think he did Evolution. I know Evolution has its fans, but I really do feel like when you find out hey, Ivan Reitman did this, you're thinking, is he literally just trying to recreate? Yeah. Ghostbusters, which is evolution, was pretty much Ghostbusters with, with aliens. aliens. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and that's fine. But it's fine for another director to do it to pay homage, but for a director to do it sixteen do years later, you're thinking. But I do think he got he gets absolutely spot on. I think maybe Harold Ramis must have been the perfect partner for him mm. because I think everything everything about this film is in terms of pacing and this, the pace of goals and the set pieces, everything is perfect. But I do think in general, I think. It's almost elevated by the writing rather than his direction. I, I actually I actually agree there, but I also think to add to that, the whole the whole film it's itself, the production, the the writing, the direction, it was quite haphazard and you don't yeah. really pick up on that and unless you kind of read interviews. Mm. Um, especially Dan Aykroyd's a great one to if anyone whoever's listening to this look up Dan Aykroyd um, interviews around Ghostbusters because he's hands down he doesn't give a crap he will say anything <laughs> honestly about people about yeah. things and he's a really good insight into that but there's there's so many things you hear about it, like the, how the script went through like a bunch of different rewrites how it was never actually intended to be a bunch of kind of blue collar guys who were kind of just trying to make ends meet and bit anti-establishment kind of thing yeah they, they were filming initially without permission or permits around New York City, things like that. And characters switched and changed, like John Candy to Harold, to, um, sorry, to um, Rick Moranis, I can't remember my names. Script changes, Eddie Murphy. There's so many kind of, we were just kind of talking a lot about them already naturally, but I think that kind of helps make it great though. Yeah. Because it, it kind of meant that most of the, the film was ad-libbed. Yeah. Like most scenes, every even tiny things like um, where they were talking about that time Egon tried to drill a hole in his head <laughs> and Egon says, it yeah, that would have worked. worked. <laughs> yeah. Stop me. And that, that wasn't in the script. Like, yeah. uh, so yeah. I, th I think a lot of it is, and this, this might be quite controversial, but it actually feels like that film was a lucky thing. Yeah, like the the anarchy, it's kind of perfect chaos. Yes, created, yeah, per yeah, perfect storm of chaos. But then maybe I'm not giving Ivan Reitman enough credit then, because if if it was that chaotic for him to be able to bring that all together as a coherent and mm. let's be honest, pretty good film, like to for him to, be able to do that, that has to be applauded. But like I said, I just think maybe it's the writing partner. But I I was looking through his his um, filmography, I was thinking 
Leidenreich was actually not that great. I, for some it. reason, I thought, oh, he would have went on as a lot more than what he actually had done because, like, Evolution analyzed this. My super ex-girlfriend, I just think. I loved Evolution. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I get what you mean. He's not, like, a superstar director. He's done some great stuff. Like, he has, like, Stripes, Ghostbusters, Twins. I, I enjoyed that movie. Ghostbusters 2, obviously not as critically acclaimed as Ghostbusters. Kindergarten Cop. Well, I think yeah. I think from Kindergarten Cop onwards, maybe that's when it really. Yeah, Junior. Four <laughs> years after Kindergarten Cop, that was a bit of a. That's still like I consider film. myself to be a hardcore Schwarzenegger fan, um, <laughs> but that still remains the only Schwarzenegger movie I haven't seen. A step too far, perhaps. I think. <laughs> yeah, just don't don't bother. That that's not on our list anyway, so we don't need to worry about that film. <laughs> Yeah, he, he. I think I, I like for years. I used to confuse Ivan Wright one with Harold Ramis. So I think that's. What I, I thought did they were too, the same yeah. person. Like, just I don't know why he just never made that mm. that uh, connection in my head that they were two different people. How do, so? How do you think in general? Though I think I asked this about Independence Day as well. If Ghostbusters released today, how would it be? Well, obviously, we'll see now with the remake, I suppose. But if forget all that, but if this came out today, how would it be received? How big would it be? Would it be? I don't know. I think it would be quite. I think it would be a hit. Yeah. But I also think that the way... Because we were talking about this before we started recording, but the rating system has iterated and evolved. Oh, yeah. Since then. Yeah. Um, I think it would probably fit not necessarily into... If it was filmed shot for shot, so let's take everything, like the, the consistent cigarette smoking. Yeah. Uh, some of the kind the of casual swearing, the drinking, uh, that kind of thing. Some of the the, the, the really, like, in-your-face kind of sexual references, yeah. which I think the, the synopsis mentions innuendo at some point. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing innuendo related yeah. about that. Like, it's... In it's your a clear endo. Statement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. in your endo. I think it would, it would definitely be a hit, but I think it would be one of those things that would be a bit higher in terms of ratings, like, yeah. in terms of age demographic and you would probably get a cult following from kids who got to watch it on like video at yeah. home or whatever and i think you know? as well yeah. if, like you said you were as like, i didn't know how anarchic the making was there's no chance that a studio film being made now would be allowed to be that insane and you would have had people like say zach efron probably thrown in there because oh we need a good looking guy or mm. you know and i think that's the difference whereas everyone here looks like a normal guy and that's yeah the things just that ordinary makes dudes but i think so, if it did come out in its form now like i said with modern special effects i think it would be huge be just purely because it's so different yeah. from what has been done like yeah. and it's weird that it doesn't have that legacy where they said let's put normal guys in these extraordinary situations because it was always beefcakes in the 80s and then in yeah. the 90s it was just people like van damme and stuff it kind of became yeah. a little bit lower and then since then it's become like a thinking man's like matt dame and ben affleck they're the they're the heroes in these extraordinary situations whereas you don't see these films we made just anymore regular guys I think there's a there's a fan, there's an actually I know we're kind of off book here but like in terms of the sequel there's a point where they just kind of resurrected themselves and they're back in, in work and they walk into this room and they're like really heroic poses and Venkman says it's like in the Guts guys we're the Ghostbusters and they all go yeah. <gasps> to try and get their babies up <laughs> I think as well like just to add to that in terms of whether it would work or not I think you'd also not not only have to recreate the scenes as they were but also recreate the, the production process too because I, I, I definitely think there's something to saying that the endearing qualities of this film are defined a great deal by how it was made as yeah, well. Yeah. And I, I genuinely don't think films like this could be made now because of that kind of, you know, the perfect kind of chaotic mix where it balances itself out would never happen now. Everything's very clinical. I mean, yeah. 
I think to some extent the Marvel movies have defined that. Oh yeah. Um, it's kind of like the Hollywood machine version two point oh, yeah. where things are kind of churned out yeah. and everything's like deadlined. Everything, very little is ad libbed, unless you have an actor or an actress, which is they have that kind you of know, which has that. Art presence, by committee yeah. almost. Whereas we're here, yes. it felt like the, the inmates were running the asylum to yeah. an extent, yeah. and that's why it works yeah. so exceptionally well. Yeah, and, they were all buddies, like yeah. yeah. Well, Saturday Night Live, I think a lot of them knew which were Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Second City, I yeah, think, as well. Chicago, yeah, which I just, I, like I said, I think the film is like a perfect storm of a lot of people at the peak of their powers, a lot of people getting it right at that right time, like Ivan Ryman, because like I said, at that point, whatever it was, he got everything right. Harold Ramsey's writing is on point. Bill Murray is yeah. excellent. Rick Moranis, excellent. Dan Aykroyd, yeah. excellent. And I don't think that the studio expected this movie to do well either. Like, I think that's why they got away with a lot of this stuff. Because I read that Bill Murray only agreed to do the movie if uh, the studio agreed to remake. can't remember the name of the film. But it, it, there was a film that he wanted to do. And he only agreed to do Ghostbusters if they would remake that. And was it Operation stay. Dumbo Drop 10 years later? <laughs> no, it was, it was actually the same year. Um... Flashpoint or something like I could have the name wrong but that's I have a feeling that the studio just didn't expect this because mm-hmm. of the actors that pulled out as well they couldn't get Eddie Murphy John Candy pulled out John Belushi John Belushi died. died so I'd say it was just like okay here just make this fucking movie yeah let's just uh, get it done and uh, I think it was Ivan Reitman that said as well that uh, the, the very like the theatrical cut when it came out he said like we had to rush it to, to get the prints out so there was still like some unfinished um, special effects there was like wires hanging down in some scenes he was like but well, people didn't even seem to care that nobody but that, again that just adds to the charm yeah. surely because yeah. you just assume oh they just live they live and work in this kind of crappy crappy yeah. building so it makes sense that there's wires it's hanging all over yeah <laughs> but like it, it makes the movie I think but you're right, you wouldn't get that kind of stuff today unless it was a sort of low-budget movie that the studio didn't really care about. It was just somebody's passion project and they were they gave them like 30, 40 million to go and make it. Mm. But that's what I think is interesting <clears throat> about going through like the list of a 1001 films because we're talking from, I mean, the start of the 20th century right up until today. And you can yeah. really see those changes where, especially in the bigger budget stuff, how much you're allowed to get away with and how much you're not allowed to get because even from as I said last week from what you see in Independence Day there's certain things you wouldn't get away with in Independence Day which was as big a budget studio film as you could mm-hmm. get but in the 90s you could get away a lot more than you could now and that was only yeah. 20 years ago and then this over 30 years ago again you get away with a lot more in this than you would even in Independence Day which yeah. is kind of insane and that also has a knock-on effect to how you kind of discuss like how we're discussing it now how we're discussing Ghostbusters is going to be I mean, let's say, for example, somewhere in the future, we'd end up having a conversation about the new Ghostbusters, which mm. is coming out. It would be there'd be very different conversations. Like we wouldn't talk about half the things we're talking about here yeah. because it doesn't have that kind of onion-like layer wrapped around it, as yeah. opposed to the clinically made stuff now. Yeah, I kind of sound like an old guy. Kids, <laughs> kids movies nowadays, blah, 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 <laughs> I think. But um, but yeah, I, I think is I think Ghostbusters is an interesting case study for how films were made back then because I think a lot of films had that ad lib quality and mm. that oh shit we have like three weeks to mm-hmm. do this we need to rush it out don't yeah. worry we can we can edit that out or whatever but they couldn't necessarily edit it out then. Yeah, they didn't but have CGI, I think you're so. right as well because if you watch a lot of comedies now and I know there's for example like Adam McKay loves love improv but the impression I get is there's a script written but then they say, okay, we're going to have another couple of hours of shooting the same scene and you can do whatever improv you want. But again, it's it's scheduled improv. Whereas here, it's we don't really have a script for today, so it's you're just going to have to go be crazy, lads. <laughs> yeah. And it works so well because you have those lines. Like I know I said to you earlier on, Bill, Bill Murray saying, uh, Dana says, oh, there was 
another world in my in my fridge. I don't know what to do. And Bill Murray replies, generally you don't see that kind of behavior in an appliance. <laughs> <laughs> It's so trolling. <laughs> there's, uh, there's a scene I want to believe it's ad libbed the bit in the the hotel where they're trying to catch like Slimer, whose name is never mentioned. Yeah, movie. I know. Yeah. Um, but uh, they're trying to catch him, and like Bill Murray's like, "Wait, hold up! I've always wanted to do this." And he goes over to the table that's like set, and it, all this stuff is still on it. And he pulls the tablecloth from underneath it, but you can just kind of hear him in the background. And the flowers are still standing, <laughs> yeah. even though everything else yeah. falls. And that's there's literally he's playing to his character continuously, yeah. even through the improv. Mm. Like it's not just oh, this would be a funny. Yeah, thing it's to always do. in it's... service of the character. Yeah, and I think they all do that. Like I said, my own my only issue would just be that I don't want to say black hole. I just feel like everything is. Is set up for Bill Murray to knock a joke out of her every time and it's, that's fine but I just feel like it becomes his film too much almost you know and I think to have that much have that much focus on one person can sometimes take away a little bit mm. from the the rest of the comedy that's going on mm. yeah it's funny I, I don't know because that's one thing I didn't actually check was um, kind of you're looking at the three of them as actors at the time of release in 1984 would you consider that um, Bill Murray would have been kind of the, the biggest star out of the three of them. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure Danica was pretty big at that point. Yeah. I'm pretty, I think they would have been on kind of the same kind of level. Now, obviously, Danica wrote it this way. I just feel like they kind of, they said, Bill Murray is, is going to be the star of this because it was originally John Belushi, I think, was going to be playing the character. So yeah. I think in he's a completely different type of comic to Bill Murray. Yeah. And I think with that, they said, we've got light in the bottle. Let's kind of harness it constantly. And I said, that's not a failing of, not a failing of the film. I just find... That's the only thing I would say is that I don't think because he has so he shines so brightly that sometimes you can kind of overshadow the other two. Because like I said, my two favorite characters would be Bill Murray, obviously Venkman and Lewis. I'm gonna I, I like I de- Lewis is definitely ranks up there with my top two favorite characters. Yeah. But I'd say in terms of my second, it would have to be Winston. Really? <laughs> yeah. It completely. I think for me the motive there is because he's so out of place. I mean, like everyone is tech. Everyone actually strangely feels out of place in what they're doing, even though like they have stakes in the storyline and such. But Winston is one hundred percent. He's kind of like we were saying. He just wants the job. Yeah. Um. He'll believe like if if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe whatever you want me to believe. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Brilliant line. I mean, like, and in a way, that I find that much more endearing and effective than this whole backstory where he was like, "What were you saying?" He was like was a, an airline, airline pilot. pilot, or no, an air force, air force pilot. pilot. Yeah. yeah. For a paramedic as well, I think. A paramedic, yeah. Supposed to be there. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. Like, I think that would have been if he was introduced at the beginning. Yeah. That would have been a great kind of element to put in there, but yeah. just like. I just need them some money. I believe whatever you yeah. want me to believe. Like, I think that's um, that's Eddie Murphy would have been the Air Force pilot, but Ernie yeah. Hudson, he's just a guy who yeah. wants 11, 11.5 a year, yeah, and that's yeah, fine yeah. by me. Um, so, what about then in terms of the film as, like I said, in the pantheon of films as the thousand and one? How do you think it ranks? It should it be on the list? Actually, what number is it on the uh, on the list? Um, it's just done in chronological order, so there's no so there's no no it's yeah, no it's ranking. So, do you think it deserves to be on the list? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I was saying to, to James earlier, before we started, uh, that I had trouble writing notes because I was so, like, engrossed in watching the movie. Like, mm. no matter how many times I've seen it, I can't take my eyes off the screen. I love the movie so much. There's so much going on, even yeah. just in the background or, like, 
Bill Murray's reactions. I don't know. It's just, for me, it's like, because I saw it, obviously, as a kid, watched it growing up, and my own kid has watched it so many times that I've seen this movie probably, like, over a hundred times at this point, but I still could not stop looking at the screen to take proper notes. And for me, that puts it up there as one of the movies. Like, yeah. that just, it has to be seen. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. Do you think that, just riffing off that question, you need to... to enjoy it to its fullest extent do you need to know about how it was made do you need to understand the trivia to actually kind of really see it as one of the greatest films uh, of all time I think the trivia adds to it yeah it does, <clears throat> it does but, add to it definitely yeah it, it gives you some great insights into the haphazardness of, of how the movie was made and like the, some of the pitfalls they encountered before actually even going to production but I don't think you need it to enjoy the movie it's great to hear it afterwards or read it afterwards and go oh I didn't know that or I, I didn't even notice that during the movie like the for very first time just because I was watching watching it yesterday like trying to like analyze the movie I noticed the Stay Puft Marshmallows on her Sigourney Weaver's counter yeah I even noticed that for the first time yeah, too foreshadowing yeah the foreshadowing <laughs> like, but I never in like all the times I've watched the film I never noticed that and I think it's a great little thing like I'm sure plenty of people have seen it yeah. before and noticed that but that's the first time I saw it it's funny you should say that because I, I hadn't up until you just saying that it suddenly clicked that they were on the worktop where, yeah. where the eggs kind of popped but there's actually something else which I noticed where the uh, when they kind of de when Peck deactivates or gets the Con Ed guy to de deactivate the containment system mm. and all of the kind of the ghosts start spilling out there's a scene a long shot which is a composite but you see lots of kind of energy coming out of the top on the skyline but right next to it is this massive billboard for Stay Puft oh. so like the foreshadowing like, yeah. so I picked up on that but I didn't pick up on the, uh, the bag of marshmallows so yeah, yeah. I love the Stay Puft marshmallow as well like yeah. that yeah. is in terms of a of a finale, like you can't really top the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. It's just he's just so perfect. happy. Like, yeah, look, he's yeah. just so yeah. happy. He, it kind of sums up the whole film, doesn't it? It's like kind of random. Still goes through the horror realm because he is still destroying things, but yeah. then it goes through the comedy realm because he's a marshmallow yeah, man, a giant yeah. marshmallow. Like it is the perfect blend of kind of all three. But for me, I do think it deserves to be on. Like even now, we're not really nitpicking the film. Like with Independence Day, we spent a long time nitpicking the film because. In a way, like it's its failings were were funny, but was this the failings I don't think are are big enough to even pick them out. No. And I think with something like this, like I said, it's a testament to how how films were made in the eighties. It's a testament to the actors and the talent involved. You're not going to see something like Evolution. You're not going to see. I know you no. love Evolution. Yeah. You're not going <laughs> no, yeah, to see Evolution. not going to be there. <laughs> the reason is because it's the original. I would say the best. Yeah. It was a scary film, though. And, and I remember one of the things when I was watching this and kind of making notes and, and stuff was I had to kind of split my brain and think of it of how I experienced it and interpreted it as a kid. Because yeah. I did. I mean, I think for me, it was probably one of the first films I saw which had actual traditional horror elements in it, mm. jump scares and kind of. Especially that, that library scene where yeah. she explodes into this kind of grotesque kind of creature at them and they're kind of yeah. off they go. Oh, I love it by the way that the first reaction is they all just run. Yeah. They're not heroes, they run. Yeah, and I mean, they get, they get there and I think that's literally the first ghost they've yeah. ever seen and they, 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 they're so excited yeah. and they, they stop and they realise they literally have no plan. <laughs> yeah, because he's like, what are, we, what are we doing now? And he was like, get her! Yeah, it's the only strategy they have is just to shout that. I, and I think, for me, that that kind of scene, when I was a kid, I didn't necessarily pick up on the comedy. I, I was, I would watch, I'd love, I loved the film, but I couldn't really say why. I think the comedy was quite, adult. it was far more adult, yeah. yeah. 
Um, I just liked as a kid kind of the the special effects and the ghost catching element and mm. kind of the haunted aspect. But it was quite funny because I, I I used to hate that scene. That that was a scene that I would try and look away yeah. from. And then I'm I'm back in the film and the dogs were fine all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but like yeah, and it was funny because I remember how I saw it as a very different film. And then I got to thinking how it, it kind of evolved with how I enjoy films. Yeah. And how I became a film lover of film. How as as a kid I kind of picked up on certain things. And I think that's one of the reasons why Ghostbusters works so well is because it has that double meaning so kids can watch it and they get something out of it and then when you get older and you become like a film nerd if that's your thing you end up kind of reading into it more and it becomes mm. something else takes on a whole new life yeah. but you can still appreciate it as the kid inside you can still get that oh that's a bit scary yeah. <laughs> um actually going back to like the like the sterilization of movies these days and the clinical aspect you were talking about in production like it's movies like this that i think create film buffs and yeah there hasn't been that i can think of offhand many movies in the last 10 years that would where you would have kids growing up who are like like really into that kind of movie they want all to get all the trivia behind it they want to know how it was made they they want to find out everything about the actors they they're going to remember this movie for the rest of their lives like it's like that's what i mean like the fact is even these guys couldn't recreate it in the second one according to the critics according to the audience like a lot that was very divisive so the fact is they can't do it if ivan wright can't do it 16 years later it really does show you just how special ghostbusters is and the way it does deserve to be on a list like this and shows how disgusting hollywood has become (laughs) (laughs) I th- they were, they've been trying like I think especially Dan Aykroyd has been trying to create to create a third one yeah since the early 2000s right I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah it's been a long read, time. He's, it's it's a really strange kind of series of interviews and things that people like Bill Murray have said in kind of throwaway comments mm. and he's kind of he was in it one day and out the next yeah. and like and I think that kind of sums Murray up a little bit like I, I respect that guy completely he's, he's um I think his agent for at least 10 years was his answering machine yeah it's just by happenstance that he found Ghostbusters as, mm. as a call on that answering machine and I think when when it comes down to kind of those kind of characters those kind of actors it makes it infinitely harder to create a third one because you have people like Dan Aykroyd who really want to make the film. And I think for about three or four years, every year there would be an interview where he would say, yo, yeah, yeah we're filming in spring. Script or, or script, yeah, script or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think on one daytime TV show interview I saw, he, he I think it was like from 2008, he said, oh yeah, it should be it should be start filming in spring. And then he would say, oh no, no, the, the, it, the third film is supposed to be called like Hellbound or something. Yeah. And he said it would have cost 300 million to make or something yeah. because he wanted uh, Main Street in New York to be drenched as like a river of blood. And, mm. you know, like he had a grandiose idea. Yeah. Murray was like, I don't like it or I like it or I don't yeah, like yeah. it kind of back and forth. And, um, and this was when Harold Ramis died. Yeah. Because you can't do yeah. it without Egon. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, yeah. you can't. It would be blasphemy. And it, it's just interesting. Like, uh, I think, I think it was a great friend. It is a great franchise that, people have been trying to kind of capitalize on a bit for a long mm. time. And I think now that I can't, I actually can't remember. I haven't really researched much about the new Ghostbusters because yeah. I'm not, I'm a little bit apprehensive of it, but um, it's quite interesting to see how it actually looks clinical. And it, it, it's, it has sends a confusing message. Like we were saying in the first trailer, it was like 30 years ago. Yeah. Four scientists save the world, save the or, world whatever, yeah. or whatever. And everyone assumed it was connected in some way. There was some connectivity to the original. Yeah. But it isn't apparently. Yeah. It's a reboot, which is it's just messy. Yeah, yeah it is yeah. messy, and like that's the thing. Ironically, that's what the first one was too. But that mess was perfect. It was perfect a perfect storm, mess. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's a, it is a perfect storm of yeah. just confidence. Whatever's going around, it just 
creating this perfect storm. Yeah. And like you said, it's a perfect. It's almost a perfect family film. It's a great. It's a type of thing you can get around with a few beers, watch with your friends. You can watch it alone. It works perfectly. I think on so mm. many levels. Big screen or small screen too. Yeah. Doesn't matter. So, so I had a question I wanted to ask. I'm gonna just sorry to derail. Um, there's a bit at the end of the film where everything's reconciled. Walter Peck is thrown out because this man has no penis. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, but the mayor says to them, what do you need? Let's go to work or something along those lines. And then it cuts to the army. Do you think, because the army have absolutely no use yeah. in this scenario, do you think that request specifically came from Peter Venkman? Yeah. <laughs> that was my Probably, question. Because yeah. like, <laughs> I was like, that's exactly what Peter Venkman would say. We need the army. Yeah. Not because yeah. he's like this chaotic, like Loki style <laughs> yeah. mischief maker kind of thing. Yeah. That, I derailed that. I'm sorry. But no, I just thought it would be a really interesting question. <laughs> yeah. There's certain things that I always, when I watch a film, I, I question it in certain kind of believability scales. And I, I, I probably shouldn't do that. But I'm like, why were the army there? But it's funny. The thing is, <laughs> you question it, but then you're like, you can justify it in your head. There's films where you can nitpick for something like, say, oh, the army there. It's probably because Peter Venkman did it. Because yeah. He just wants to be funny. Yeah. You don't question anything in this because they bring that realism with it because, like I said, they're all schlubs. And you say, well, it just so happens that they get rid of ghosts. They could have been exterminators getting rid of rats and whatever and it's, you felt like their comedy still would have been the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Venkman still would have been a womanizer. Uh, Ray would have just been excited by rodents and uh, <laughs> Egon would have just been trying to get different uh, ways of catching them and that yeah, was it. Like, yeah, And that's exactly. fine. But that's why it works so so well, I think. And then the last thing, the, the budget and the box office, I think it was like a 30 million budget and it made 360 million? No, 295 million. So it made almost 10 times it's it's budget back like in the 80s again like that is if that's not a blockbuster i don't know what is yeah but it's it, like i said it's a it's a block a different kind of blockbuster than yeah. what we're used to now and i think like you said i i know i keep saying it, but that's why i put it on any list to, to see before you die purely because it's just so different from what we've become used to and i think yeah. you need to see what came before because i think this is what blockbusters could be or should be yeah and um, they're no, unfortunately, I don't think they really make them like they used to. So no, they don't. Like even with some dodgy, horribly aged special effects that even Ivan Reitman wasn't happy with when it in eighty four in eighty four. I think it still holds up for the next thirty or forty years. People are still gonna watch that film and enjoy it because of the story, the characters, mm. like the just everybody is on fire. Like yeah. as we said, it's funny though. Like it, it is weird. Like the legacy it has. I have this thing where let this film be what it is it stands the test of time by itself and like i said in yeah. 40 years time people won't talk about ghostbusters 2016 or no ghostbusters 2 they'll always be talking about ghostbusters 1 and i think that's what that's why the reason it is it was a success it's because of that because people just said this is something special and they were seeing something special on screen happen in front of them yeah i definitely i definitely agree on all fronts in terms of this being a definite film to watch for you. The uniqueness of it, the stars as well. I mean, there's no 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 kind of duplicate of Bill Murray or Dan yeah. Aykroyd. I mean, no. they're, they're as unique as as kind of this this weird storyline about these kind of regular guys who hate the establishment and are just busting ghosts. Yeah. Um, yeah. As Ray Parker Jr. says, busting yeah, makes me feel. so eloquently put it. Yeah, <laughs> which is hands down one of the most questionable lines. <laughs> in um, I guess it does. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, like I, I think for me, it was just a, a really nice mix of horror, comedy, a little bit of sci-fi as well um, with the technology they got going. Mm. Um, it's never really explained either. And I think that's yeah. what I like about it as yeah, well is that 
nowadays everyone demands, oh, you must have a wiki page to explain exactly how that tiny device actually works yeah i hate that um, filmmakers have to explain pseudoscience it's yeah. pseudoscience you don't have to explain it yeah yeah they, if, if it was me i'd say it's magic yeah it's like magic, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's magic it could be anything if it was if someone picked out like for example spotlight and he said what about this no there's a slightly different there's yeah. magic in this one <laughs> parallel universe i don't think a director should ever have to explain anything like that and i think exactly in in ghosts they just say there's ghosts yeah this is how we catch them we have them yeah, the, the EKG, yeah. the, the kind of thing <laughs> which has all the wings that open up. Yeah. And, um, which I think is just a colander with like fucking <laughs> yeah, yeah. sitting sticking sure. out of it. Um, <laughs> or Bill Murray with his, he's yeah. a squeezy. <laughs> yeah. and I, he just Man, before that scene filmed, they said to him, like, go and pick, pick, pick something out to walk around Dana's apartment with when you're doing this scene. And he found this, uh, this air diffuser thing and just yeah. with and the a wand. Stick. And, it's it's yeah. a real device yeah. as well. Yeah. It's, it's for testing like gas levels. Or something like it's that. It's funny because it looks like he it kind of in the old 80s style or 70s style, the microphones are where those long, mm, skinny yeah, ones. Yeah. And Dane actually says, You're more like a game show host. <laughs> yes, and that's so funny because he's literally going around looking, holding what would look like a microphone. A mic, yeah, the long, thin mic. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're all agreed then. This is definitely a. Definitely, yeah, there's no, no arguments here. No. I'm actually looking forward to a film when I say. This is not deserved to be on the yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think next week will be that case because it's Back to the Future. Back to the Future. Oh, oh yeah. Classic. John Landis? No. No. Um, what's his name? Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis, Zemeckis. yeah. Yeah, so next week, Back to the Future. And we'll give you our thoughts on whether or not we think it's a movie you should watch before you die. We've said Ghostbusters is. We hope you agree. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Let's wave at the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> is this television? <laughs>